0: the pragmatic doulas this is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things birth may be a goddess but she doesn't want to be worshipped
1: she wants to be respected she doesn't want incense she wants common sense. sense
2: hello hi hello we're back Why do you keep saying that at the beginning? We're not. Oh, we we didn't didn't go go anywhere.
0: anywhere. (laughs) Well, we did.
2: did. We We left for a week. You went up north. (laughs) I went up north for a day. So I
1: was missing for a podcast. You were missing for a podcast. Yeah, it was
0: my first absence. Uh, Kim was
1: here on the podcast, but was quiet because she had no voice. Um,
0: Oh, on another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So we've all kind of been
0: Mm -hmm. at somewhat incognito due to illness. I was so yes. sick last week, I really <laughs> wanted to come, but honestly, just, just standing up was like a really, a, a big, a big deal, and my, my voice was horrible, like, yeah, I would have been talking gone. like this <laughs> to you guys, which sounds like I'm speaking to you from, like, the New Orleans jazz bar or something, but <laughs> or it was, it was horrible, six a yes, and, and two things of whiskey, yeah, um,
1: and the week before when Ann Douglas was here, I managed to walk in the door and turn around and walk back out. Sure. Yeah. Yep, yep, <laughs>
0: Just yep.
1: tapping out. Here's your mushrooms. Bye.
0: We're we're m- we kind mostly recovered, yeah. I would say. Still yeah. coughing at night. The croup cough. Mm-hmm. I've got a little bit of coughing every once in a while when I when I feel like I need to laugh. And I've recently acquired some so kind we of will not be funny today. So don't <clears> listen, keep all your jokes to yourself today, okay? Um, my stomach doesn't feel that great either. So if you hear me run away, it's just me running to the toilet or something. Somebody done poop. Oh, it's Suzanne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, this is a birth podcast, so yeah. come on. Come you on. Should, You How
2: need much? to be okay with. You need to be okay. Functions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what are we discussing today? Oh, who are we? We are
2: the pragmatic the doulas. The pragmatic
0: doulas. I'm Steph. I'm
1: Kim. And I'm Suzanne. Welcome. Hello. And we're talking about breastfeeding today. Breastfeeding. Yep. Or breastfeeding knowledge. What do you, what's, what's too much? What's minimal?
0: How much do you need to know about the tatas? How much do you need to know? As, As a, doula. a doula. As a doula, yes. Yeah. Because there are, there, there is a very, uh, like a lot of very, varying degrees variables. of knowledge with, um, among doulas with breastfeeding. Uh And even
1: variable interest. I think some people absolutely love the birth preparation and the prenatal part of helping a family and helping them through birth. But breastfeeding just doesn't hold much Mm -hmm. commitment for them, much interest, much passion. So basic knowledge, I guess, would be a cursory knowledge would be good for that person just to kind of help with. The initial day or the expectations of breastfeeding on the initial day, on the Mm. day baby is born.
0: True. And you were saying something before about the difference between birth and postpartum doulas that I didn't
2: really get. What did you mean? Well, I mean, a birth doula, I mean, we're going to talk about this, but what a birth doula needs to know is going to be probably a little bit less than what a postpartum doula needs to know. Right, right. Okay.
1: Yes. Yeah, because what to expect in the first day and I guess on your follow-up visit for a birth doula is one thing what to expect over the fourth trimester while you're helping a family transition. There's mm-hmm. lots of variability in breastfeeding there, lots of challenges that can come up, mm-hmm. or none at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, helping someone understand what looks like, what is normal and what isn't normal, and when maybe to reach out for additional support. Yeah. do doula having that knowledge in her pocket. Yes. And I guess um, also her ego firmly in check so that she's knowing to, or he is knowing to, when to pass on to another I see, I see what you
0: did there. He. Was a, oh, there's a, more and more doulas coming out doulas. that are
1: people are asking about male doulas now. So yeah. male doulas will also have to, or doulas who you that, know, you, maybe I, we should talk about male. that uh,
0: um, at another topic. That's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. There was is it is your comment spurred by some conversation that I just just like yesterday yes. read a comment thread on some doula Facebook board about this very thing. Something
1: popped up and it just like passed my eyes quickly, but I and didn't it was get the gist of the whole huge, thing.
0: Huge, you know, like 600 comments. So when I see that, discussion. I
1: don't even open it. And I'm yeah. like, that is yeah, not,
0: yeah. Yeah. you do, do not I have, have to go hour? to every <laughs> fight you are invited to. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, sometimes when I see that, it's like, oh, the fight is already underway. We are on round seven. Yeah. I got <laughs> yeah. nothing to offer here. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I'm not mm-hmm. going
2: to read 600 fucking comments
1: about it. Mm-hmm. yeah like that that just says ego 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 like
0: no mm-hmm. and that's and, not supportive mm-hmm. um so when we talked about breastfeeding before mm-hmm. we kind of just mm-hmm. basically talked about our breastfeeding personal breastfeeding experiences so i i was wondering what's your level of knowledge comfort background with breastfeeding support not personal breastfeeding but breastfeeding support as a doula Stephanie.
1: Stephanie. Yeah. Um, I'm very comfortable with it. I'm as comfortable passing it along though. As soon as I kind of, I don't know. I don't know if it's a specific thing, but sometimes you're working with a client and something comes up, and I'll have like an immediate response, like, "Oh, we should try this." But then I also get a quick. I almost get like a backdraft of air, like this is probably. I don't want to say scope. Scope is the wrong word to use in breastfeeding. But um, in breastfeeding support, because I find that's really person-to-person support. And because sometimes it's evidence-based, sometimes it's supporting someone else's plan that's already been put in place. But um, I am as likely to pass along to an IBCLC as I am to hold on to a client myself. I'll usually see somebody three times, and if we're just not getting around whatever bend she needs to get around, it's like, you know, I think we need fresh eyes on this. Mm -hmm. Because maybe I'm not getting something, maybe something's not being communicated. Maybe there's just a, you know, we've got a third party here, we have a baby who might be trying to tell us something, and I'm not reading it, you're not reading it. Mm -hmm. So I'd pass it along. But I'd say I have a pretty confident set of skills around basic breastfeeding, basic breastfeeding issues, Uh, we talked about using an sns and stuff before absolutely comfortable doing that Mm -hmm. that's not a scope item you know recommending someone use it without issue um i guess maybe that maybe not a scope item but i don't know helping someone feel comfortable with how they choose to supplement or if they choose to supplement using something like that Mm -hmm. absolutely comfortable with it Mm -hmm. positioning latch i can't diagnose a tongue tie but most of the times those things don't need diagnosis they're like waving at you like hello mm-hmm. look at the lovely bowl shape my, my tongue is taken and look that lovely hamburger texture to the nipple that I've left behind as it mm-hmm. oozes you know oh, there's a lot of things that are just like that's one that we're gonna go get checked out because if you had an injury anywhere else on your body that looked like ground hamburger meat we would go see somebody about that right
2: <laughs> I need to hold my boobs for a second that just makes me like, cry <laughs> that.
1: I had Lots. also. I'm going to tell you not to make me laugh. <laughs> there was a client I saw who was told her breastfeeding, by her own doctor was told her, her breastfeeding is going fine. It just hurts initially. And, you know, I'll even take that. I'll take, you know, the first latch the, where everyone's in that learning curve. Mm-hmm. It's a little uncomfortable for someone to be swinging from your tatas every day. But I showed up to see her because we kept delaying me seeing her because she kept going back to the physician for slow weight gain. Mm-hmm. And when I saw her, literally, not her areola, the nipple, her jelly tot on the end of her areola
0: mm-hmm.
1: was hanging off. Like you could oh lift god. it off. Oh my god. Like someone had taken an exacto to try and remove her nipple from the side. And it was green and oozing. Oh what? Oh my god. Right? Yeah. But she was told, maybe just use a nipple shield. Oh. This pass, if you are, cannot diagnose something, if you had anything else hanging off your body like that, would you say just use a nipple shield as a physician? No. you say something is wrong.
2: Your yeah. nipples the, are crying <laughs> because of that And it's Visual. because of things like
1: that that I'm very quick to pass along to someone beyond me. Sometimes it's the fellow doula who just needs some extra eyes on something. Can you look at this? But, um... For the most part, super confident with that. I had the opportunity many, many, many minutes ago uh, to sit in at Dr. Newman's office. Like There mm-hmm. was a time when you used to be able to go in, pay five bucks, and sh- shadow. And now
0: it's more than five bucks. <laughs> sort of five bucks. Isn't it like six bucks? A, last uh, I looked, six, it was 70, six bucks an 70, hour. No, $70. for, <laughs> right. and, and they have a set time. Yeah. It might have changed mm-hmm. since mm, two years ago when I did it, but mm-hmm. that's what it was then. And my mom,
1: I found just going to my mom groups and having a leader at mom groups being like, watching these subtle things that made these huge changes in women's boobs, yep. in their experience, in their ability to relax their shoulders and to see something as normal, to even see the challenge as normal. Mm-hmm. As,
0: right, I to see, see the, the part, challenge
1: as normal. To see the challenge yes. as normal, yeah. um, mm-hmm. to see the learning curve as normal, that you and your baby are working together on this, mm-hmm. you know? So I guess quite confident that way. And I'm as confident and as happy to pass along if I'm not, if together we're not figuring out what's
0: going on. Mm. Yeah. How about you, Zeus? I would say that I'm I'm fairly confident with the my level of breastfeeding support. I have a really uh, keen awareness of my boundaries. Like, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Yeah. Uh, so I'm also happy to pass on to to people who are specialists in this in this thing I have a firm belief that so my my the foundation of my breastfeeding support is that uh, most of the time people need education and support they need to understand what's normal and they need to to be shown the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm really good at explaining what's normal and saying what challenges are normal. So my baby's, my baby's cluster feeding. How can I get them to stop? Well, cluster feeding is something that that's, just that, that has happens. To happen. Yeah, it, it happens. Or it, sometimes it takes her like five, six times to try before she latches on. Well, she's just no, figuring no. it out too, just the same way you are. So that's normal. Like people have ideas in their head about what breastfeeding is supposed to be like, and I'm really good at shattering their myths and illusions, (laughs) (laughs) and telling them the truth about what's normal and what's normal, and um, about, I think I have a really good eye when I look at what a mother and baby pair are doing, Mm -hmm. I have a really good eye... I just know something's off. Yeah. It might take me a little while to really look at all angles and... Literally sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And figure out, okay, this is what I think is happening here and this is what I think you should try. Not always right, but in the old days, you would be nursing your baby often mm-hmm. and frequently among other people like you'd be in a in a little community a little gathering of other mothers who've been there and somebody might just come along and say lift the baby's bum up a little more like that or hold them a little bit closer to you or put your hands this way little small tiny adjustments on a regular basis by other people and then all the other women who haven't had babies yet hear that and see that and click they file it away in their brains and most people most mothers these days don't have that and that's where we We come in and I think (coughs) that's, that's what I'm good at. I don't know if I've ever seen a tongue tie. I'm not, I don't, that's my, I don't think I've ever said to somebody, I think there's a tongue tie happening here. Um, If there's something outside of my scope and I refer and I say, call this person who is an LC, Mm -hmm. I might say, ask them about a tongue tie even though they might already see it for themselves, if there's one there, ask them about this and this and this, I will give them questions to ask. Same way I do with my doula clients. When Mm -hmm. you go to the doctor next time, ask about this and this and this and this, because I don't necessarily have all of the answers, and LC would be the one. I almost never refer people to a doctor. No. No. Unfortunately, I have such little faith. I love pediatricians. Fantastic for everything else. Not so fantastic when it comes to uh, lactation support. No. So, I have, I don't think I ever have said to a client, go to the doctor and get, you know, it's always here's the number for a really good LC or a good clinic or, or whatever. But I'm pretty confident. I was a La Leche League leader for a long, long time. Um, so, I'm really good at talking about breastfeeding, mm-hmm. which La Le- Leche League leaders do that a lot. And um, talking people through the emotionality of breastfeeding, and getting people to figure out, do you even want to breastfeed? Yeah, because that's a good question. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, do you want to do this? Because if you don't, we can just stop Not. right now, and we can talk about safe formula feeding. Because uh, that's sometimes the, the uh, sometimes the answer, um, sometimes the last end result. Um, so, yeah, that's where I, I know where my strengths are, I know my weaknesses are, so I work really well within that scope. I liked how you described, too, the community
1: situation of watching each other. Mm-hmm. It, there's so many components in how we how that changes our process of how we think and feel about breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. You mentioned those mothers-to-be, p- people who will eventually have babies, file that away. They yeah. also file that piece of information away with Visual of women helping women, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it's normal to Mm -hmm. reach out, Mm -hmm. not not just like ask for help. It's normal to step up and say, you know, a little twitch there, without ego. It's like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm helping is a norm. Yes, accepting help is a norm. Asking for help is a norm. Mm -hmm. Indicating that there's a problem is okay. Yeah, you know, because maybe
0: because because it that's how it works, and that's how it's that's really is. Nobody's meant to do this by themselves. No. So i so, so that's why I, I, I feel so strongly about the work that we do, because I do not believe that we are supposed to, as human beings, meant to tough this out on our own. That goes completely against the grain And breastfeeding is one of the, like the birth, the breastfeeding and the support afterwards for raising the family. It's foundational. Mm-hmm. It's foundational to life. Yeah. Yeah. About you, Kim.
2: Um, what are your feelings on it? <clears throat> well, I mean, I think I know the basics. I know, I think I probably know more and can do better than my own confidence level tells me I can do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm very yeah, quick. Yeah, you know more than you think you know. Yeah, I'm yeah. very quick to refer um, just because I just don't have the confidence that, because I don't want to fuck it up. Um, I don't want it to say, you know, oh, it's XYZ, let's do this, let's do that, and then that doesn't work, and then it doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm quite happy to refer out a lot if need be. Mm-hmm. Do you refer out to LCs or doctors? Suzanne was mentioning. Oh, fuck, I'd never refer. What doctor? Exactly. What doctor? What doctor would you refer somebody yeah. to? It's not like there's one out. There. Of course, there's Jack Newman, but I don't refer to Jack Newman either. Sorry, he doesn't, he doesn't, put your damn phones not, down. He's
0: not like a. Um, he's not seeing like pediatric. He's not like a pediatrician who works no. in a. He he specializes in lactation, and yeah. also he's is he he's not he's often not at his clinic because he no. no, he shares off back. doing but he's off speaking he's the the world, world, whatever, around the whatever. world doing stuff. Yeah, so.
2: But I don't, I've referred to his clinic, and I know I'm not going to be popular for this, put your fucking phones down, I don't care. Um, I've sent people to him, and it's been overkill. It's been, for something simple, like Mm -hmm. a position thing or a latch thing, it's been overkill, and it's scared people, terrified people to the point where they've actually stopped breastfeeding. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I had I sent somebody there to for low supply to get some stuff and they gave them, told them to go on Blessed Thistle and Fenugreek. But the way it was done, the way it was prescribed, they believed they had to give it to the baby. <gasps> yes, because it was like, in and out, you know, this is what it is. This is what you do. But being brand-new parents that were, like, sleep-deprived Exhausting. and, you know, not really with it, it wasn't conveyed clear enough that that's what needed to be done, that it was the mom that takes it. Yeah. Yeah. And they um, ended up in hospital.
0: Wow. That's crazy. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: That was some sleep deprivation right there.
2: Yes. So... They should not have been driving to the clinic or home from the clinic. Yeah. No. I mean, I think... Yes, it's a great clinic if you've got monumental problems. If you've tried everything else and it's not working and this is something you truly, truly want to do, you go there. But for something simple, here's a lactation consultant that will come to you. Here's a clinic that you can go to yeah. that will give you you know, that because we're now entering, I use this phrase a lot, you're, we're now entering sort of beyond my knowledge base. Mm-hmm. So let's talk to these people. And then they can usually refer forward <clears throat> to somebody who they have confidence
1: as an LC with mm-hmm. if it requires moving to Something. position level, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, two thoughts I have from what, what you said. First is I try really, really hard not to refer because I respect the role that lactation consultants play in the whole breastfeeding support world. <clears throat> I also firmly believe that most of the time an experienced breastfeeding Somebody who's done it before, yeah, is most of the time all that you need. Yes, and so save the really big issues for the specialists, mm-hmm. right? That that's that's my my way of of thinking. Because when we refer to specialists for something that mm-hmm. that we we the electrical like, function yes could could really work through on our own, they're going to bring out all of their special... Yes. ...things.
2: ...tools. And yeah.
0: they're going to, you know... It gets treated like a bigger a problem, problem than it really is.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not referring people to LCs that don't actually need to see an LC. Yeah. I mean, my knowledge base is not so shitty. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when it starts to get into, you know, I think we're looking at a tent here because everything we're trying yeah. just is not working. Yeah. So I think we need to... S- Talk to somebody then you, else. Then you get into that room you know, where you know this that part meeting. isn't working. Yeah. So let's talk to somebody else.
1: And sometimes that 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 thing doesn't have to be going to a physician. Maybe it is going to a, a Let'sy League meeting or a drop a dropping free drop-in breastfeeding group or something. Sometimes it's just being around other mothers and mm-hmm. seeing the challenge mm-hmm. takes the weight. Seeing the off challenge of you. is normal. Seeing the challenge <laughs> is normal again mm-hmm. takes the weight and the intensity off of this solo. Experience because mm-hmm. it shouldn't be a solo experience. Right. But it's you feel not like the only person yeah. going through that in the moment.
0: Am I the only one whose baby's poop is green? What? No, it happens all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's why, and here's what you do, and calm down. Yeah. You're right. And then the other thing I was thinking about is growth. I remember. I've around long enough to remember when the Newman Clinic was teeny tiny, yep. like nobody knew about it. It was just teeny. I mean, we're talking 1989, 1990. I don't know when it opened, but I've been, that's when I first started talking or been around breastfeeding support people. And
1: when you first started rocking the boat. And you, when you
0: went to the Newman Clinic, you saw... Dr. Newman that's Mm -hmm. where he was he was there every day he wasn't Mm -hmm. world famous he wasn't like internationally renowned whatever and it was just a little small place when um, like places like that like facilities like that grow and grow and grow on the one hand it's a really good thing because more and more people can have access to those resources but at the same time they you know what happens Mm -hmm. people get desensitized or they get treated more like and, and i'm not saying that that's what happens at no. The Newman Clinic or other bigger, well-established clinics like that. But it is kind of like a, a normal state of affairs for any organization or facility. The bigger you get, the less personalized experience people are going to have there. Oh, right? I, I, and, it, and it's it's not... It, you lose a lot of the hands-on, interactive, really customized uh, support that I feel like people need. You become... Oh, Something to be treated. Okay. This is what J- 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 it is. J- 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 Here's a double shield. Yeah. Here's this. Yeah. Here's that. Out you go. Yeah. Right?
2: That's, what, that's how I feel. Like, growth is good, but not unchecked. But that's what you get from hospitals as well. Yeah. And I will admit, too, right. that there's been times where, you know, I'm hearing, I'm listening to what they're saying, <laughs> but, and you're not supposed to do this as a doula, but I'm already forming the solution in my head before I've really heard the whole story. And I have to check myself to not create that, you know, again, one size fits all solution. It's like, okay, let me step back a bit this is what I hear you saying is this is what's going on, you know, and it's that, it's that listening skills that you need yeah. to have. And it's easier for us to do it as individual doulas yeah. because you go to your client's house, it's you. And yeah. that person is probably
0: the only client you're going to see that day. Yeah. Maybe if you're a really busy doula, you're going to see another client. When you're working in that clinic and you're going to see a dozen people yeah. for the day, it is harder to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need let to. Let me step I, not my, yeah, yeah. Let me step back and tighten up my listening skills here because it's harder to do that because time mm-hmm. time 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 there's a waiting room full of people out there yeah. and you've got to like figure this out offer the solution out next, next person in yeah so i think that ideally people get one on one help in their homes as soon as possible that's ide- in an ideal world we would all be sitting around under a tree right now talking to each other with you know various out. stages of reprodu- people who are thinking about being pregnant people who are pregnant people who just had a baby people who've had babies a long time ago and we're all sitting around and everybody's learning from each other so let's try create to create that world,
1: world. <laughs> some of those kids yeah. who are listening to us going. That huh? shit sounds horrible. I am never having what? children. Yes. And that's okay, too. <laughs> yes. Because I don't want to hear about your nipples anymore, and I certainly don't want that. what happened to the, that that lady's nipples to happen to mine. i mm-hmm. kidding. And mm-hmm. that's okay. <coughs> yeah. Again, formulating decision-making based on what you've
2: grown with. So what was your, when you first became a doula, what was your training like in breastfeeding?
0: I was over, I had already been a lactation League leader for a long, long time, so I had lots and lots of experience with breastfeeding support, and that served me enormously well as a new doula because I got hired right away by -hmm. a facility. I don't know if anybody remembers the Ella Center in Leaside Mm -hmm. in Toronto. And, uh, that's a flashback. Yeah. So in the 2004, I did my training in June. In August, I was, I was like right in the Ella Center because I don't know who it was that told me about them initially, but they wanted a doula. They they already had a doula there, but she didn't have a lot of breastfeeding Breastfeeding support. support experience and they were looking for somebody with that. So I went in there and said, Well, I don't know. Yeah, I know something about this. And they hired me right away. And within my first year after training, I had 30 births under my belt mm-hmm. in my, within my first year, which is, I, I've since come to learn that's like a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking
2: ridiculous. Yeah, for a lot. Yeah. Thank goodness for
0: being young and perky back young then. Young and perky. <laughs> Not my boobs, my spirit was Your perky. Spirit. Your spirit. So I already had a lot of breastfeeding experience before I got trained in my training there was zero honestly there was no breastfeeding even in my postpartum training because that was birth training so maybe that's mm-hmm. not not being fair so in my birth training there wasn't any breastfeeding help support um and in my postpartum training I really don't remember I don't think it was a lot there was there was some yeah there was an exercise we did sort of to um, talking about normalizing breastfeeding and seeing breastfeeding in public and things like that. Right. But nothing that would could help anybody who didn't have breastfeeding support experience, nothing that would help that person actually help right. a new mom with breastfeeding. So I would say my training was lacking in that, big time.
1: I know for my birth training, I'll, I remember very clearly, I think you and I had the same birth trainers for our first donor birth training. Yeah. Um, But I remember what stood out. Well, there's two things that stood out for my training is um, a little bit of a check your ego talk that you are not the doula for everybody. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you need to ever step back, then you have to listen to that first. So you don't burn out and then you can't serve anybody. That was one of the first overpowering messages I got about respecting your own time and space so you can help others. Mm -hmm. And with breastfeeding, the guidance that was given was very much along what we're talking about here community first Mm -hmm. if you want to understand what women are experiencing Mm -hmm. and how to help you go to the llc league meetings you go to the hospital meetings you ask to sit in and you listen Mm -hmm. you don't talk you just go to absorb the experiences of how women are coming in coming in at day three coming in because some people still need to be there four months later you just go and listen that will be your best education and how to move forward and add that into your doula practice. It's not about mm-hmm. what you can do; it's about how you can listen, and then help. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of there was. We did a, we did go over kind of n- normal infant feeding, supporting someone's choice to bottle feed, supporting someone's choice to um, wet nurse, supporting someone's choice in all these different things. Wet nurse. Yeah. To if someone wants to get milk from somebody else for their oh, baby, okay. or to have someone else milk, um, nurse the baby. Nurse a baby. You have to just kind of be accepting of however someone wants to feed their baby. You can help somebody get their baby to the breast. You can help that. But if you're not feeling comfortable with that, then you refer forward. But mm-hmm. uh, For the birth doula training, that was pretty straightforward. But the, there was a lot of insistence on connecting to your community as a doula in the community and in how to help additional women.
0: Which is great and important. But where can new doulas go? Maybe as a trainer, you can say. Well, where can new doulas go at, in order to, yes, in order to really get that hands-on, this well, is I mean, how I you think support it should somebody. be in the trainings. The answers.
2: Right. I mean, I, agree. I don't know what the trainings are like now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been, well, it's been a year since I stopped training. But in We're my right. trainings... I gotta... You yeah. gotta go? Please, I gotta, gotta go. Gotta go. I gotta go right now. Um, <laughs> in my trainings, it was you know, we actually pulled out the babies and we sat down and we said, you know, this is this is how we're gonna bring the baby to the new mom. This is how, you know, we're gonna encourage her to hold the baby, you know. This is, again, that all that stuff about normalizing and blah, 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 and all that, but we had to have, I wanted there to be like some actual specific, you know, from this angle, from that angle, holding, supporting the arm, things like that, you know, I'm a firm believer as a birth doula that I'm going to be actually super hands-off. I am... I don't... I know labor and delivery nurses do this, and I totally respect this. I'm not saying that this is a negative thing because sometimes this is... Oftentimes this is very uh, necessary. Um, You know, it's kind of, here, shove the baby in here where I'm going to grab onto your boob and we're going to jam the baby in. Okay, now hold that and mom's got her two hands up going I don't know what's happening here Um, for me it's always been about you know presenting the baby here's your baby we've talked about this before we're gonna hold the boob like this and I'll like hold my own boob standing there and you know getting that birthing parent to do that Mm -hmm. Um, but in my trainings I always tried to have sort of at least and it wasn't good I openly admit it was not that great Um, there to be a a hands-on, you be the birthing parent, you be the doula, how are you going to do that? And what questions are you going to ask? And what are you going to look for? And, you know, things like that. And let's say this is happening, what are you going to do? Um, in the postpartum doula trainings, there was a little bit more, but not quite much more, um, because we certainly did talk a lot about, um alternative feeding uh, alternative to breastfeeding Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there needs to be so when I had my training you were allowed to take um, you were allowed as your breastfeeding component you were allowed to do the uh, La Leche League which is great Mm -hmm. I went to La Leche League that may even be where I met Suzanne I don't know Um, and you know in fact I had it at my house that's That's how I managed to get to go. Um, And then now, a few years in, you weren't allowed to do that anymore. That was not because they couldn't guarantee the quality of the information. Yeah, that was coming out. Um, The other thing was now, and I don't like this. I'll openly and I've (coughs) openly said this um, about the trainings that of the organization that I trained with is now they just have video like you just get a booklet and a video and watch that because they don't again it used to be that you had to attend a um a breastfeeding class but again they couldn't guarantee what was being taught and i thought well then make it make it a class that has to be taught by somebody from that organization Mm -hmm. make it a class you know make it interaction interactive make it you know. A class that's taught by a certified labor doula from your organization or a postpartum or a lactation educator or whatever in that case so that there can be that actual visual hands on stuff about what people are learning and how they're seeing it and how it's being presented to them Mm -hmm. Um, and that is so important Like again for all the
1: trainings I've done and how many classrooms I've sat in because I love going to trainings mm -hmm. I'll go to anything (laughs) most of it came from my community work and my work with families and my work in hospitals and at home births and sitting and watching and listening. It had, (coughs) there's all the things I can write out, like, you know, recognizing this, challenges to breastfeeding, colors of breast milk, Mm -hmm. all that shit I can write it down backwards and forwards. But helping a woman who is, actually has a half decent latch, who's feeling a little tense and her tension is leading to, Mm -hmm. this baby not being angled properly. Yes. That is a different type of education. Yeah. Being able to come over and ask if you can touch her and then put your hands on her shoulders and help her bring her shoulders down and maybe even, you know, I think we've all seen it. You do something, this warm, pleasant touch that has nothing to do with someone grabbing her boob Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the tears flow. Yeah. That kind, that all of a sudden a touch of kindness that has nothing to do with her ability to breastfeed.
2: Yeah. And that is... You just, you just see all that tension Ugh. that she's holding and that release, and it's like,
1: ah, uh, let it go. It's a lovely side effect when, with those tears, all of a sudden milk starts shooting across. The room. Yes, but <laughs> even if not, kindness—it's those yeah. things cannot be taught in a classroom, or maybe they can. Maybe we're just fucking it up. But
2: um, I think it's important. I think one of the big things that i find, because I mean, really, let's let's be real—the challenges with breastfeeding really are. You know, when there's a problem, it's latch and it's position. Mm -hmm. Holding a hand differently, supporting that, put a pillow under here, things like that. These are simple, tiny little things. The big thing that I find when it comes to breastfeeding support is explaining to this parent that is, you know, calling you or texting you or whatever, you know, frantic, this is happening, is that's normal. All of that is normal. I hate to say it. But all that, unfortunately, you're freaking out, is normal. Absolutely. But and, because we and haven't then, culturally seen it, no. it's not normal. And, because, and then they're normal. going online and, of course, they're Googling and shit like that. And it's like, okay, but what are you Googling? Because one tiny phrase and now suddenly your baby has, you know, esophageal cancer starving. or something. Yeah. like, Or your baby is starving. Uh, that one yes, story about uh, that baby
1: who was breastfed and was starving. But again, that was a failure. That wasn't a failure of breastfeeding. It was, was a, a failure, failure of the of system. It the system. Exactly. That's right. And everyone's sending her home and telling her, it looks great. This is great. This is great. No one told her, this is what it looks like when a baby is moving milk yes. out of your breast mm-hmm. and into their body.
2: I mean, I think we have, I don't know. Maybe there are hospitals, especially in Toronto. Maybe there are hospitals in Toronto that are good at this. But I have yet to find one where the support of breastfeeding... In labor and delivery, actually, I find it quite good, um, especially in the hospital that we work in. Those nurses are really good at getting that latch going and getting everything, you know, started. Mm -hmm. It's when they move to postpartum that shit gets fucked up. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get... Not all the time, but sometimes you get a nurse and like, oh, yeah, da da da, da and this is this, and this is that, and then, you know, shh, it's working. And then other times, a lot of the time, it's bad. This well, it, isn't working, that's not working. You know what? Let's just give you formula. You know, that baby's clearly starving. Let's just give you formula. At How, 24
1: hours. They've at, only been here yes. 24 hours.
2: You literally cannot starve a baby in 24 hours. Yeah, it mean? doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Oh, we're
0: talking about postpartum nurses in hospitals? Yeah, we're talking about the... The first, besides doulas,
1: yeah. the first people to take care of a woman who is looking to breastfeed or yeah. a person who is looking to chestfeed. It's a,
0: it's a real pet peeve of mine because I honestly believe that postpartum nurses, breastfeeding support it can... should be like,
2: that's like 101. Like yeah. it, it really... And that's where it's make or break. That's yes. where it's, it's, if it's so... going to work, it's going to work that that point. If it's going to get fucked up, that's where it's going to get fucked it. up. Oh yeah, by the way, here's a nipple shield, bye. Mm-hmm. And then you get home with a nipple shield going, I have no exit plan for a nipple shield. That's uh, right. That's my first question. Oh, they put you in a nipple shield. Okay. Have they given you, you an know, end an this. end, you know, yeah. how was this going to, how are you going to get off the nipple shield?
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, I don't,
0: oh, we what? didn't talk They're about all, that. that. Yeah, that's not, that didn't enter
2: into the conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Or we're going to top up after every feed. And then,
0: and w- until, and, until, until what time? Until yeah. Forever?
2: And is it always going to be <laughs> formula? Or are we gonna? you gonna try and transition into breast milk? Yeah. What's the plan? Like what's up? So yes, here? I
0: very often see babies who are fine, fine, mm-hmm. fine, fine. Yeah. Lovely, wonderful, and they're being topped up not because they need the top up, but because they the parents are told that she's only have so 10 10 scared, 10 yeah. so scared to let go of the of that you mm-hmm. know 30 mils of formula after the feeding, and she takes it. The baby takes it, so therefore she must need it. No, that's not true either, and it is reinstilling the confidence because all of those devices break the confidence yes. in the in the parent's ability to actually feed their own baby, and maybe they did need the little topical exactly. formula. Maybe exactly. Maybe it is, and in that case, the formula is like medicine. Maybe they did need it. Yes. At that point in time, there's a place for yes, formula, absolutely, and maybe that was the place. But nobody talks about the exit strategy. Yeah. So, they keep doing it out of habit and out of paranoia. Yes. About, and out of fear yes. because they feel like if they don't, then the breast milk is not enough, it's not rich enough, or whatever. Yeah. And therefore, the baby's going to starve. And they've got a pediatrician's appointment in three days,
2: and God for you know, that yeah. weight, that scale better yeah. go up. I had that. I had that. And then the scale went up too high, and they were told the baby was eating too, too much. much. Yeah. You're like, okay, <clears> can we, f- people? Yeah. Can we all get on the same page and find a happy medium for this poor mom yeah. who's losing her shit because she doesn't think her baby's eating enough and now her baby's eating too much and, oh, let's yeah. watch the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh.
1: So how much knowledge do we need? I think we need enough knowledge to tell families what's normal, yeah. what falls outside of normal, what are alternatives to current plans, what are alternative providers to go see if the information you're getting you does not to.
0: jive. Yep. Are, and what are the good questions to ask? And what are the I think that's one of the most important <coughs> skills that a doula, any kind, whatever kind of doula you are, mm-hmm. being a good support person means being able to um, encourage your clients to ask good questions. Yep. And and most experienced doulas really get good at that Mm -hmm. we really know how to like peer behind and under and and say well what's this little thing here what does that mean what's this about and why this and why that we get really good at that and our clients are most of them are not good at that and what's the same thing with with uh breastfeeding and when you're dealing with breastfeeding support people to know to ask questions why am i doing that why why is this recommended why Mm -hmm. is this better than that that kind of thing but yeah. I always like the
1: question, asking your provider what the margin of error is. Good. When you and you, they come home. A family will come home. At 24 hours, they're told, well, the baby dropped some weight. But not always told, or they, it, might, they might that, be told that it's normal. That that's it's a normal. fine amount of weight. Mm-hmm. That's normal. And we expect to see an upswing usually between this day and this day. Yeah. But they don't always get that second piece of information. They just get, well, it's normal for now. And then, and then What? So now they okay. go home feeling tense until day three when they go to their pediatrician. And then the scale at the hospital can be as off as our, the scale in Kim's bathroom to the scale in my bathroom. One one day I'm looking five pounds lighter just because of a different
2: scale. And the same the scale of my thing, mom's House, man. There you go. I weigh so You're, much less than <laughs> <in> the scale <laughs> as your friend. I, I think she lives on Mars. I mean, seriously.
1: But the scales that are set, calibrated <laughs> lighter at a doctor's office mm-hmm. is not the friend no and everyone freaks out and it's as opposed to saying well actually we're going to use this as our since i'm going to see you in three days we're going to use this as our baseline and next time you come back we're going to use the same scale and having a physician who actually says well we can't really compare because it's two different scales Mm -hmm. that is so legitimate yeah and that's the question i often send people in with is asking them to ask about the margin of error from scale to scale. Mm-hmm. Is it something we really need to worry about or is nothing we worry about until I see you in another three days and we see if we're on the upswing.
2: Mm-hmm. But I think it's important too to always note that there is there's more than one piece to the puzzle. When we have an issue with breastfeeding with birth, with anything we can't just look at this one simple piece and see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. We have to look at everything mm-hmm. and be able to after we've looked at the whole picture, then be able to assess, okay, this mm-hmm. is what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. But like with weight loss, it's like, okay, yeah, your baby lost, you know, 7%. Okay. Awesome. Okay. And there we go, oh my God, or 10%. So 10% is that sort of like,
0: weak. Mm-hmm. we used to mm-hmm. like
2: literally lose our shit sure. at 10%. Mm-hmm. But now we have to look at, you know, okay, what was that birth like? I go, okay. They lost 10%. Tell me about the birth. Yeah. It was a very medicalized birth and went 24 hours. Okay, so we're talking probably three four bags of fluid, da 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 In that case, baby probably peed out 5% of that, <laughs> mm-hmm. in which case, eh, maybe we don't have such an issue. If they're telling me, oh, yeah, no, baby was born in like 20 minutes and, you know, my labor was like maybe an hour long, okay, so no IV fluids. Okay, no, I'm looking at this 10% in a completely different way. Yeah. But that's, I don't think we do that. I think we hear one thing and go, oh my God, bad. It's like, whoa, let's back up a bit here. Yeah. And what else is happening here?
1: Yes. And then what's the solution? The solution is not necessarily, and again, it's not an anti-formula thing. If we have oh, a family who's the breastfeed, then if we're at a certain percentage, or maybe we're seeing a baby who's showing some you know, dry mouth or mm-hmm. lackluster ability to, con- to get to the breast, or having a baby who's already at the point of lethargy you know, that baby oh, shit, yeah. Let's- would do awesome probably with a little dose of a uh, formula or with, you know, your bestie next door who's lactating like crazy, come on over and feed your baby a little bit where you've got it sh- basically shooting into the baby and they got to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a variety of things that can happen there. But do you ever suggest, I have
0: never suggested I have that. I've never
2: suggested that my neighbor My neighbor nursed life. my kids.
0: So. Well, I know. And maybe in your, and I've nursed my cousin's kids and stuff, but there you go. I mean, would you, with a client? Would you say, do you know anybody around here who's got some breath milk with, in their breasts? Like, can well, they come over and nurse the baby? I usually start with, if we're looking at
1: supplementing for now, do we want to look at a milk bank? Do we want to look at formula? Do you have a friend who's lactating? Do you have a sister who's lactating? Do you have someone Never else? have I offered no. all those options. No. I'm like, Let's go buy you a pump. But, yeah. <laughs> these are the questions yeah. to ask. Because, again, the, like, I, even sometimes the, I'm hoping to avoid the pump sometimes because mm-hmm. it just seems like one more fucking thing they have to do true um where i would say I maybe i can't
0: imagine most are most people open to that like if i said do you, you know do you have a friend who's lactating who can come over and, and get some milk into the baby i just
2: suggested it to somebody who believed their child had pink eye and she'd stop breastfeeding and i said do you, you know, know somebody, somebody who who's lactating you who can give you a little bit use it up for that pink eye but i would never suggested it you would be surprised how many people say, "Oh, my sister still has milk." I mean, in
0: the I'm fridge. totally cool with it, but yeah. I've never, th- personally, I'm cool with it, but I've never suggested that to a client before. Um, I can see some of my clients <clears throat> being absolutely horrified. Yeah, I've had no some horrified could... clients, yeah. and then
1: it's really super easy though. Again, we do love technology sometimes to flip it up on the phone. It's like World Health Organization's recommendations is that if you can't don't have the supply immediately that the next best thing really is
0: to get somebody else to neighbor. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just supply, they can nurse. I mean, it baby makes total or... sense, doesn't it? Cause when we go back to talking about that community thing, yes. about the women sitting under, sitting under the yeah. tree in the afternoon, everybody talking about yeah. it, that's, that's how it was. You can't nurse your baby, but I have lots of milk. So I'm, I'm going to do it yeah. and so on. People would just do that. Yeah. And that it's, it, it, when you think about nature and how we evolved, how we came here, we probably would not have gotten here without co nursing. Oh yeah. That's right. Because Absolutely. something could happen to this mother at any time. Then that's what right. if her baby is to survive, somebody's gotta take that baby in. Yeah. And feed that baby. Give, and feed that baby. Because you can't run to the shoppers and pick up a can of enfilac or
2: whatever. No. And they would have right? died with on gruel yes. or whatever. So
0: so uh, co nursing is that what it's What's called co nursing shared nursing. I feel like wet nursing is more like a profession, something people do for, for that's true money co-nursing just mm-hmm. shared nursing or whatever seems like something that would have happened in as less as a matter of course in the old days because that's how you survive this is mm-hmm. the food that the baby has and i got some and you don't so let yeah, me give it to the baby some, yeah some of mine
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah
0: or sometimes women who would
1: get super 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 sick you know you get dehydrated your milk yeah. starts to really slow down so yeah. your neighbor pops over and says here we go yeah pop them on mm-hmm. um while you are recovering mm-hmm. it's you don't even have to die just you have to be dealing with yeah. something right yeah or stressed or something mm-hmm. <coughs> but it's an it's an awesome option I actually have a great story or a funny story um my client was giving birth at where were we for that one for her first i think we were at oh it doesn't matter where we were at anyhow her sister her, we knew ahead of time that there would likely be monstrous breastfeeding challenges due to a car accident and some reconstruction right um and she had started a protocol ahead of time with pumping and drugs and stuff to get, try and get some milk flowing for whatever ducts were still functioning well. But we knew that it probably wouldn't be primary. And I came back to see her the day after her baby was born. And her sister was sitting there nursing her baby. And there's a bunch of people in the room. I'm like, what's going on, girl? Why, what's going on? She's like, they're losing their mind here. Like, why, why are they losing their mind? And she's like, because my sister's nursing my baby. And they said, we're not allowed to do that here. And I'm like, "Mm." at the hospital. At the hospital? Hospital. Yeah, she was still at the hospital. She'd had a C-section. So um, she's, of course, just chilling out. She's eating her breakfast that her husband brought her. Sister's sitting right here in the chair, just baby on, nursing. Um, Her sister was still nursing her toddler. So it was just, that was part of her plan. Right. Um, Going in, it's like, you know, if uh, nothing's coming out of these. No matter how much we massage them and pump them and everything right now, nothing's happening. My baby needs something, so my sister's going to give it up. And they had people coming in to consult. A lawyer came in to talk what? to them about the Seriously? legalities. It was and, her sister. Um, pardon? It was her sister. It was her sister. Exactly. She goes, if it's not me, it should be my sister, right? And they said, well, we can get you milk from the milk bank over at Kids. So
0: like, a
1: stranger's milk. That's exactly what she said. She's like, I'm not having a stranger's milk if I got some right here from my sister. Um, that's crazy My It didn't meet some sort of protocols for s- sanitary...
0: Yeah, what about oh, feeding? For God's sake. And that's
1: what she was like. She's sitting here eating her bagels and lox and stuff. And I don't, know. I don't know what you're wow. talking about. Oh, they also didn't want her eating a bagel and lox either. They said it was too happy for her post surgery. She's like, this makes me happy in my heart. This is what I'm eating right now. Oh my god!
2: But you know what? If that, <coughs> if that sister had pumped and they'd given it in a bottle, nobody would have batted a goddamn eye because they probably would have assumed that she had. It wasn't breast milk. They would have sitting. They'd gotten formula. Yeah. But because she actually put that baby to the breast, everybody went
1: nuts. Absolutely. And I think also the fact that her sister was sitting there topless, too. So she she went
2: next level. (gasps) I'm sorry. You're not a patient. Your boobs need to be covered. No, you
1: need to not before you come in this room. (laughs) That's That's right. Yeah,
2: exactly. And then there's boobs here we
1: got
0: booze. on an L&D Yeah, boobs. I would have I would have 100% nursed my sister's babies and I know that she would have 100% <clears throat> nursed mine if the need yeah. ever arose. I've I've nursed my cousin's baby when she had like some important court lawyer thing that she had to go to, and she didn't want to bring him. I think he was nine months old, and he was at my house, and he was fussing, and she was taking a long time, so yep. I was nursing two babies at the time, two of my own babies. <laughs> that's one more. So, what's well, <laughs> one more. So I said, hey, you guys, can you give Rich a turn? So I just, <laughs> and so I just n- nursed him, yeah. because, well, that's... Yeah.
1: It's no different than if a kid was... You know, 10 years old and hungry, saying, Well, maybe I should get him something to eat. His mom's it's a, a while. I think it's
0: yeah. a little different. Yeah. I don't know, it's in I your think house. It's a little You're different it, but... than giving a 10 year old a sandwich. It's a
1: little You're different. You're making the executive. How else is that baby who is breastfed going to eat in your home? Yeah. If that 10-year-old only eats sandwiches and is waiting at your home and his mom's not there. I can't
0: remember what was up with this cousin's baby of mine. Why, like, did she leave stuff for him and he wouldn't take it? Or if he had finished it because she was taking too long. I can't remember what was happening. But the answer was, put him on my boob. And he, some babies will not. Because I've tried it with my other... One of my other cousin's babies, I think. And they won't latch on yeah. because it's weird.
2: Yeah. Right? Not no, right. The taste that.
0: of you it's is different. not. is different from their mother. And your milk probably tastes a little bit different too. True. And so. the texture. Yeah. They're like, it. what's going on here? Because I think that baby took it. He kind of looked at me like, what? Is do, Is it the same? Does it work the same way? Let me yeah. give it a try. <laughs> and it, he realized, okay, yeah, it works the same way. Yeah. My older kids were horrified. I remember that too. <laughs> they were, because I had a 16-year-old and um, I guess a 12-year-old or something at the time. And they were both like, what are you doing? Oh, my God. I'm like, calm down. This is totally fine. It's normal. And I'm sure Auntie Raquel won't mind. So it's okay.
2: That's funny.
1: I yeah. Nothing nothing in relation to boobs. And I'm Charlie sure you have the same thing. Nothing in relation to boobs would even phase your kids. Because like, we used to have our, my mom group used to meet every week. And everyone, each mom kind of took turns. Mm -hmm. And so we had every type of feeding going on. We had some people were bottle feeding. Some people were breastfeeding. Some people were boob and tubing. Like it was, Uh we had everything. But the the bottom line is, everyone's baby was due within three or four months of each other. So there were boobs out at Mm -hmm. all given times
0: for my older kids, for any other kids who came over with them. Yeah, from the Lelecha League meetings. Yeah, it's just, they're just boobs. I Mm -hmm. mean, Christopher was literally born at a Lelecha League meeting. Yeah, (laughs) I think there was a league meeting like eight days after he was born. And I had been to like four before before I went into um, into labor, so they all were used to that. I remember when Chris went to was in high school and he was in the locker room, changing uh, after gym or something, and he came home and he said, "Mom, I have a like a nipple question to ask you." And then I said, "Okay, what? I'm up for it. What?" Yeah. And he goes, "I was when I was at uh, school." And all these boys, because my kids were homeschooled, right? So he, even though he played football, he didn't, he, he, he wasn't used to that locker room thing where all the boys are like naked and stuff like that. So he goes, a lot of the guys, like their nipples go in. And I said, inverted nipples, like they go in instead of sticking out. He goes, yeah. Won't that be a problem? (laughs) 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 So sad. Um...
2: Not Not for for them. them. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: okay. If guys' nipples are inverted, it's all right. Because he'd heard conversations about inverted nipples and all of this. So he was wondering, is this some kind of an issue? And I go, it's only if you're going to be breastfeeding a baby. Then it may be an issue. But for the guys at school, it's it's fine. It's fine. He's like, okay. You and your useless nipples have no problem. (laughs) Hilarious. Yeah. It's just an evolutionary leftover. That's all they are for you.
2: Yeah. That's hilarious. Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. So it sounds like really,
1: for as much as we get into it as much as we do or or don't do, there's certainly room for growth mm-hmm. in doula trainings that are breastfeeding specific. Or maybe, yes. you know how, or at least for, I'm thinking birth doulas here, you attend three births and have all of your paperwork done or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe the addition to that is that you attend, um, I don't know, hours at a clinic Hours at La Leche League, like a certain amount of hours, where you can actually its enough to actually pick up those key parts mm-hmm. of breastfeeding in a community setting. Person to person community mm-hmm. setting, not solving
2: a problem. No, no.
1: But what but support it. looks like. And yes. What support it. looks like?
0: Yes.
2: well what? Especially for new doulas that haven't had babies before, there's mm-hmm. such a there's a big there's a of that influx lately. of like you know Yes very late teens, early twenties wanting to be doulas, which is great. I don't have not saying it's not, but there's they haven't breastfed before. They They haven't even been been exposed to to it before. And you know, there's certainly older people becoming doulas that haven't breastfed before either. And that's but then so there needs to be something where, you know, like a community that you're exposed to it, that you're actually it's in your face, and you can actually see, you get to see what normal looks like well, as a doula that hasn't maybe breastfed before. And, oh, that's where that mentorship thing
0: comes in that we we keep talking about. Clearly, this is a, a need, mm-hmm. because you, uh, you mentioned before the 20-hour inf- the in fact yeah. uh, course, which is It's amazing. great, but it's mm-hmm. just information. It's information. <coughs> nothing. Nothing beats... Like if you, an experienced doula, going to your client's house, nothing beats going along with that doula and watching how she, not just, oh, what solutions did he off, she offer about this particular problem, but how did she listen? How did she approach? Did she touch the client? Did she not touch the client? Did she touch the baby? Did she not touch the baby? How much listening and reassuring was there? I swear to God that half of breastfeeding support Mm -hmm. is reassuring and instilling that confidence. And you "You can do this. It's okay. This is normal. You're good. You're fine. Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, blah. And seeing that over and over and over, like that to me is invaluable. And. The same way, because you're talking about maybe it should be a, a component of certification, just like we have, you need to attend X number of births and receive like evaluations from these care providers and so on. Maybe a part of it should be you need to hook up with an experienced doula and go to X number of visits with her to see how it actually happens mm-hmm. what support looks like having the knowledge and the information like why do nipples do this N- knowing that in your head is one thing and being able to relay that information to uh, to somebody who's actually trying to get that baby latched on or fix this issue is a totally different thing
2: mm-hmm. absolutely
0: yeah so mentorship shadowing experience uh, passing oh. on of of knowledge and experience that that I think has to become a new component of, of dual training, mm-hmm. whether it's the actual training or the after training. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. I would say the actual training because you need, when you're going into the, even if you do one follow-up visit, and when I do my follow-up visit, it is almost always an infant feeding visit, no matter what you've chosen. Yeah. It yeah. is all about how you're doing with the decision you made what the challenges have been, how you're feeling about those challenges, and what the next steps are.
0: Yeah.
1: That's what it's about. I actually very rarely, we, we talk about the birth, and kind of usually while you're listening about breastfeeding, the birth comes up, what your challenges were with that, what you liked about it, didn't like about it. But it used to be many, 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 many moons ago that you would go and kind of sit down and have tea and review, um, not like check a box review, but talk about yeah. how you felt about that experience and yeah. stuff. And yeah. For me, it's just not. It's it comes up almost as an aside unless like there's some processing that needs to happen but it is all about the breastfeeding or the infant feeding or the boob and tubing or whatever it happens to look like for you
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: so i I think it is as important for a birth doula to have that information if you're going to be doing follow-up visits
0: oh yeah because i guarantee
1: you it's going to come up oh yeah how you're feeling about it and Sometimes you just walk in and the boobs are already out. It's like, look at these. Awesome. Mm-hmm. 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 Look at that. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that with no shame whatsoever, you just answered the door with no top on. How are you there feeling you about go. that? Um,
0: <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yep. It sure does. There's very little. They need air. Not they need air. True. I don't care. At my last follow-up visit, this is hilarious, my... Uh, my clients were getting ready to go to take the baby to the their doctor, follow-up doctor <laughs> visit, right? <clears throat> and this poor mother had had acquired some wicked hemorrhoids. Oh, um, no. After the birth. Piles. And so she went and took a shower. I was hol- getting the baby dressed and holding the baby. She's in the bathroom. Door's wide open. Okay, that's fine. I, I've seen her naked... I have seen right up inside her. So big deal if I see like her whole body standing up naked. But what I thought, I I almost fell over laughing. She's talking to me. She's standing in the bathroom talking to me. She's like drying off and talking to me. And then she just picks up her hemorrhoid stuff and starts (laughs) just applying the hemorrhoid cream (laughs) right up in her butt. And I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Is there, gonna... no, is there no sacredness in our relationship anymore? <coughs> no. <laughs> this this is, is there no more mystery? Yeah. yeah. This is what makes it Absolutely sacred. Not. Yeah. And I was like, this is, this, is a, this is awesome. This is the first time I've seen that, and I'm right here for it. Keep going. <laughs> you
2: do what you need to do.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, I've seen women change their, their pads, sitting on the toilet yeah. talking to me, changing bloody pads. I've yeah. seen that. But this was the first, applying the hemorrhoid cream to your butt crack that's that hilarious. and putting the tux pads in yeah i'm yeah. like make sure you get it right right up, up there <laughs> yeah hold that sucker over your finger there
2: you right go right up there Oh, that's funny yeah
0: yeah anyways that's that's a level of intimacy you need to be comfortable with that's true as a doula um, as a doula you need to be comfortable with boobs and some people no, i've never encountered any anybody who's minded me touching their boobs do you touch no. i touch but i always
1: ask and usually always ask it's always only ask. if i need to touch yeah you know, if anything, if any adjustment can be done, sometimes again, like Kim was saying, I grab my own boob. Yeah. yeah. I kind of make a little angle with my elbow or my wrist yeah. or something, if it needs positional changes. Sometimes it's almost the opposite. Someone is so rigid, it's like, how do you feel about just laying back, or how about we just go lay down on the bed and do a little side lying mm-hmm. action? Yeah. Because it requires so much less tension in the shoulders, mm-hmm. and you know, you yeah. get a couple blankets to roll up and tuck in behind the baby, and yeah. next thing you know, you're talking to them, and they're. Yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> teaching how to how to nurse lying down is, is Fucking life almost skill. always something that I show in that follow-up post-birth visit. Almost always. I have moved it to after the birth. Because mm-hmm. so often, yeah. your
1: bottom end is all swole up, yeah. yeah, you know, for whatever reason, whether a baby just blew out of there or you've got stitches, whatever reason. Unless you've had a cesarean section and laying on your side is just a no-go because right. everything moves. It is, before I leave, I absolutely prefer... Be the first thing I show is how to nurse laying down. Yes,
0: it's a, and they always say that. Oh my god, I can just do this! Yeah, this is so amazing.
1: What is it with most of the time telling people you can't do that with a newborn? I've heard that so many times you can't do that with a newborn. Well, it's the
0: whole co sleeping thing, yeah, right?
1: That's that's part of what it is. Well, how about the whole I'm I don't want you to drop your baby because you're just in labor for 36 hours. Yeah,
0: what about I'm so desperate. For a little bit of a rest, yeah. that I will do anything, and therefore now it's dangerous for me to sit up in this chair nursing the baby. Absolutely, I can speak that? to that because I have
1: stitches. I had stitches in my nipple from falling asleep doing that. Well, it's Shit like what balls. Kim said
0: before. Like there's, they, you walk in, you've got this nipple problem, and then they just do that. They yeah. focus narrowly on this nipple problem and give you a supposed solution for that, and then they ignore the whole, the whole picture. picture. So yeah. that's what it is. It's, oh, don't don't lie down in bed with your baby at all because you might smother the baby or whatever the the concerns are. And I'm not saying that, that there aren't concerns. There are, you have to be very mindful about safety and all that. But when you look at the whole picture of what is life like post-birth for this new family (coughs) and knowing that sleep deprivation and exhaustion is absolutely a feature of that life after birth. How can we help these people? They're going to be better parents. The baby's actually gonna be safer if these people are as well rested as possible. Absolutely, And part Absolutely. of that is yeah. teaching people how to lie down and nurse their babies safely in bed, yeah. like for goodness sake. And she's like, yeah, but I can't fall asleep like this.
1: Well, you I mean, can, you can. You can. Because you're, you're practicing safe co-sleeping Yes, habits.
0: I said, this is what safe co-sleeping looks like. But a lot of people these days feel like there is no such thing yeah. as safe co-sleeping. But there's no situation that makes it safe. And that is just simply not true and just makes life so much harder. Yeah. So the, I, the, a lot of it goes together, breastfeeding, sleeping, how you live your life around constantly nursing this baby that has to be factored into the solutions that you're giving people. Yeah. Not just exactly. here's a nipple cream. Put it on that nipple. Yeah, here's that's right it. He'll, he'll Do this. Take this. Take these herbs that will fix your milk supply problem. Okay, let's talk about some other things yeah. too. Yeah, about Confersion how you're living things. and whatever. So, yes, All we right. need to be more open-minded.
1: So it sounds like we've got some work to do. Yep. We got. A, a, we're sounding
2: very advocacy over here.
1: What? what? Are we getting a little crazy? That's here? almost the F
2: word. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's an hour, Mm -hmm. so on that note, we will take a break, um, and we will come back with a birth story. All right. Bye. 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 Okay, so we're back. We are back. I've stopped fidgeting, because I had to pee so badly. Um... All right, so trigger warning. We have a birth story. Um, it is a loss. Um, it is a miscarriage. I believe there's Rainbow Baby in here, too. Um, this That's is something. from... Uh, you need to not worry about length, okay? You I got I this. I got this. I'm not I worried about length, all. but
0: we've had comments that our podcast is care.
2: really long. I don't care. We need to care no, about what our I listeners feel. No, one person said it. I don't care. Okay. Um, this is from, uh, her name is Nicole Lemke. She is. Oh my a, God. I thought you were going to say Nicole Lim. Yeah. <laughs> she is a blogger. Uh, she has a website called growinguprainbow.com. Um, she's in Peterborough and this is her oh. story that she submitted. I was just right beside you this weekend, in, Nicole in, in Peterborough. Peterborough. Yeah. Our, our, our cottage used to be up that way. I miss it. Anyways. Um, Okay. <clears throat> I had a miscarriage. I battled infertility. I am a rainbow mama. This is my story. In a whirlwind of romance and wishful thinking, my husband and I start, decided to start trying to start a family right after our wedding. It would be fun. It would be exciting. My dreams of becoming a mother would come true right away. The naivete of that first cycle wore off pretty damn quickly. The timeline of those first few cycles goes a little something like this. November 2016, first cycle trying to conceive. December 2016, no period, not pregnant. January 2017, no period, not pregnant. February 2017, no period, not pregnant. Proceed to panic and make fertility appointment. March 9th, 2017, first appointment with fertility specialist OBGYN. March 25th, 2017, first round of letrozole. Trigger shot cycle. I've never had fertility treatments, so I'm assuming this is all fertility known to drugs people. And stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, April 18th, May 5th, May 29th, June 27th, letrozole trigger shot, trigger shot cycles begin. July 17th, 2017, positive test. Ooh. August 9th, 2017, heartbeat scene. Mm. Two and a half weeks later, we found out that the heartbeat had stopped merely mm-hmm. 2 to 3 days after the first ultrasound. Yeah. I had been experiencing some spotting so I emailed my OB and he got me in that afternoon. The spotting turned progressed. The spotting progressed to small clots a couple of hours before the appointment. I made my husband leave work early to meet me at the office. We went in, I got undressed and had yet another internal ult- ultrasound. The silence in the room felt like an eternity. I watched the screen. I knew what eight week, six day ultrasounds looked like. The screen was seeing the screen I was seeing did not look like that. I turned away, looked at the ceiling, started crying. After what felt like half an hour, like likely one minute, my doctor said, Nicole, I'm so sorry. We were given a few options and I opted to take the mister Misoprostol. Misoprostrol. Mm-hmm. Mm one dose vaginally and the remaining doses orally sorry
0: mm-hmm.
2: <coughs> <coughs> there is no way to prepare for the aftermath i was one of the unfortunate ones who felt full blown labor with the medication oh. oh my god i had 8 hours of contractions 2 minutes apart oh, oh my, my goodness god. 1 minute long each the pain was unbearable all I had were some acetaminophen tablets and codeine with codeine, <clears throat> and my wonderful mom had brought had bought for me from the drugstore. The embryo passed. It was dis- it had distinguishable fingers and legs. Mm. Again, no one prepares you for this. Mm-hmm. I should mention at this point that my sister-in-law was pregnant, and our due dates were merely weeks apart. To say I was bitter, jealous, and downright grumpy would have been an understatement. <coughs> <coughs> Lord. Yep. It doesn't help that I'm a little a clumped mm. The first cycle, trying to conceive again, as soon as my HCG levels had returned to zero, was so hard for me. If I'm telling the truth, so are the next three. So I was desperate to conceive again. I clung on to every bit of hope we would get pregnant again. I did and felt some pretty crazy things. I drank one and a half, one to two liters of fertility each day. I don't know what that means. She what? She drank? Yeah. I spent over $2,000 on acupuncture. Jesus Meditated, had Reiki Reiki treatments, became certified in Reiki so I could do the self-treatments. Saw a psychic and ate different seeds depending on the phases of the moon. Covered every Every freaking angle. (laughs) God, good for you. I attached myself to a religion I had never believed in, just in case that would help me get pregnant. Mm. Because I was being told over and over again that God had a plan. Oh, Lord. To which I I all... To which... All I wanted to respond was, my baby dying was part of God's plan? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. On December 3rd, 2017, we found out again we were pregnant. Then I realized how terrified I was to be pregnant again. The anxiety worsened every day. What if I started bleeding? What if the baby stopped growing again? What if we never got our rainbow baby? I told a few close friends and family in the early days in response To those congratulatory statements coming my way, I could never genuinely say thank you. What if I just jinxed something? The The night before each early ultrasound at 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, and 17 weeks, I would spend wide awake crying in bed. Oh, sweetie. My husband reassured me it would be okay, and it was. On July 30th, 2018, we welcomed our rainbow baby boy, Anderson Ralph Lemke. That's a, I like that's that. That's a great mm-hmm. name. Into the world at 9:04 p.m., we arrived at the hospital for our induction appointment, only to find out that our baby's heart rate was too high. He was in distress. Before the doctor could even start the induction process, I was swooped into the operating room within an hour of showing up at the hospital. I've heard most people get cold in the OR. I was hot. My glasses were fogging up, and I was sweating. My anesthetist kept getting me cold face cloths for comfort and to prevent me from passing out. She was from India and talked me through deep breathing, comparing it to yoga. I'm not sure what kind of yoga involves your stomach being ripped open while awake, but I fell for her tactics and calmed down. Anderson was lifted out of my stomach with the relieving sound of the first cry starting immediately. I was finally a rainbow mama. We had so many skin-to-skin snuggles. There was so much appreciation and emotion in those first few days as a rainbow mama. Pulling those memories from my foggy, at best, brain, I can still feel the immense love and comfort I felt holding my rainbow baby. I remember not wanting to nurse... Oh, I remember not wanting our nurse to help me out during the first night. I just wanted to hang on to Anderson. But alas, she caught me dozing off with him in bed a few times and convinced me to get some rest. Not to be cliche, but that first night felt like the weight of the world had finally been lifted from my shoulders. I loved watching Anderson's personality develop, seeing him learning new skills. The laugh he has when he sees our dog is absolutely hilarious. When he's proud of himself, he scrunches his nose and snorts in the cutest way. He bum shuffles like a little gremlin crawling across (laughs) our living room. He loves snuggles with his rainbow mama miscarriage survivor infertility warrior and rainbow mama were never labels I asked to have but today I wear them proudly I'm using what I learned from these experiences to help others I write I provide peer support I listen once I started talking publicly about our miscarriage I was shocked at the number of women who reached out to me and said through this and who had been through the same thing silently I feel grateful that I can be supported a support when a friend or a stranger messages me and is going through the, the acuity of a loss. I will keep writing about and acknowledging our journey as long as it is helping other women. I consider it a blessing to be part of the Rainbow Mama community. That's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm, it was. That's a very vulnerable Thank story. You, Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you so much for sharing. And yep. again, she has a blog um, called Growing Up Rainbow growinguprainbow.com go read it and yeah definitely go read it and i've read it and there's cute ass pictures of her baby on it anderson anderson go look at anderson anderson the bum ralph <clears throat> um. i love bum, <laughs> bum shuffler babies <laughs> oh yeah who
1: yeah. did the squeak forward instead yeah. of crawling yeah. yeah
2: who needs to crawl
1: exactly he just move along it on shows
0: that. innovation
2: it does that's right yes we'll get there yeah all right. So, thank you so much for sharing that story. And if anybody has other stories that they want to share about breastfeeding, about birth, about being a doula, about parenting, parenting. about anything. anything, for God's sake, people. Tell us all about your crazy ass lives. Yeah, cuz if not, then this this segment has to end because we're yeah. just we ran out. We don't have any more relatives, I don't know. I keep telling my mother to write one. But she's in I she's in keep, a fog of painkillers right now, so she's not writing anything down. I keep meaning That's to coherence. like
0: pressure my all oh my cousins because I have so many of them and they all have babies. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pressure them some more. I I'm
1: really... gonna pressure my aunties. I'm gonna see them on Monday. There you go. All
2: yeah. right.
1: I'm gonna make them voice record it oh. while we're sitting there. That'll I'm gonna give good. them a
0: couple pina coladas and see what happens. Okay, drunk birth stories.
2: There you go. go. (laughs) That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. We could do that like Drunk History. Mm -hmm. There we go. All right. Awesome. So thank you so much for listening. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends. And you can email us at thepragmaticdoulas at gmail.com. Yes, you can. Do it. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.